Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's right at home, whatever the topic. And today we're looking at everyone's favourite talking point, house prices. We'll be asking where they're headed in the mainstream market. One of the really key things in here is the expectation that interest rates are going to stay much lower for much longer. And whether the same is true if you're lucky enough to be swimming in the prime residential pool. Once we see the rollout of uh, the vaccines continue throughout the rest of this year um, around the world, prices are definitely likely to start increasing towards the middle of this year um, and then have a more sustained bounce back um, next year. I'm Guy Ruddle and I'm joined by three of Savile's finest crystal ball gazers. Lucian Cook is Head of Residential Research, no stranger to Real Estate Insights. He's also a leading commentator on All Matters Housing. You can barely open a newspaper without finding some comment from Lucian. Hello, Lucian. How have you been? Yeah, not too bad at all. Thank you very much. Good stuff. Frances Clacy is an Associate Director in the Research Team. She's a specialist in the prime market. Hello, Francis. Good to have you back on Real Estate Insights. Hello, Guy. Good to be back. Thank you. And Lawrence Bowles is another stalwart of the podcast. He's a director in the in the research team and an advisor to local government, national government, housing associations, investors, all sorts of people. Lawrence, welcome to you. Thanks very much, Guy. It's great to be back here. Great. So, where to start? Well, perhaps I'll start, actually, by giving the... We're not going to spend the next... 20 minutes or whatever, just talking numbers. But I'll, I'll give you the headline numbers of what the Savills are now predicting post the budget for house prices this year. Uh, overall, a 4% rise. And over the next five years, a 21% rise. We'll get into the detail as we go along. But Lucien, let me come to you first of all and say and ask you... Uh, is it particularly difficult or in a, perhaps particularly easy, I don't know, to predict house prices right now? Yeah, I mean, I think forecasting house prices is always quite difficult because you're trying to over overlay what's going on in the economy and what the economic forecasts are with where sentiment is in the market. And that's been made particularly hard over the period of the recent past because we've seen the way that people behave in their housing needs, if you like, override what's happened um, in the economy. And that meant that we had pretty strong house price growth last year in the mainstream market, plus 7.3%. And in the circumstances, incredibly high transaction numbers. So one of the jobs that we've got at the moment is to try and work out how long do some of those behavioural changes and the changes in what people need from a home dictate the market? And at what point is it um, that the economics take over? And of course, that, that has been complicated quite recently by a budget, which has extended the stamp duty holiday and also supported the housing market in different ways, for example, by bringing in a mortgage guarantee scheme to try and get a bit more lending for those people with a small deposit. And I'm sure we'll talk about the details of that in a bit. Um, How much has Wednesday's budget, how much has that that forced you to run around or scrabble around and change your numbers? Well, I think there's a couple of things that have changed the numbers. Overridingly, I think what's really changed, if you like, is the speed at which the vaccine has been um, rolled out um, and and the impact that is likely to have on consumer confidence over the course of this year. But of course, what we were forecasting um, 
back at the back end of last year was it'll be a year of three parts. Strong at the front end when you have the stamp duty holiday, weaker in the middle when some of the economic realities hit, and then recovering at the back end. Essentially, I think what's happened because of the speed of the vaccine rollout, the prospect that social distancing restrictions are going to be eased, and this extension of the stamp duty holiday is it's just shrunk that bit in the middle, and it's meant that the severity of a lull in the market is going to be somewhat less. We're talking about both prime uh, residential and the sort of mainstream market today. And we sort of kind of, I guess we have to deal with them slightly separately. So, so let's talk about prime first of all. And as I say, Francis is a is a specialist in the prime market. So Francis, uh, the overall picture for you sort of, I hate the term going forward, so I'll use it, going forward. You know, w- what do you see happening in your in this prime market? So I think short term, it's important to think about what we saw last year. So sort of tying in with what Lucine said, with how people's desire to move, um, relocate, upsize, downsize and so on, that sort of completely outweighed any uncertainty surrounding jobs and finances. And we did actually see that this was particularly true for the prime markets, I think, partly because they benefited less uh, from less reliance on the more stringent mortgage markets. People in the prime markets are also likely to have some established housing equity um, and also provide that they were secure in their employment, they're likely to have even saved some money during the um, various national lockdowns. So what we saw was people making a move into the country markets, moving for a lifestyle relocation, many people deciding to accept a longer commute when we do return to the offices. Um, And that meant that we saw record levels of demand across our country offices last year. And that has shown absolutely no sign of slowing down really already um, this year. So new buyers registering with our country offices were 32% higher in January and February of this year compared to the same two months um, in 2020. And we do anticipate that those trends will continue to be dominant drivers through much of this year, particularly now that the stamp duty holiday um, has been extended. And we know that there remains um, underlying commitment from people to move this year. And I should say that the, the when we're talking about Prime, just to, to, to remind people, uh, or myself as much as anybody else, that it's the top, top 5% price-wise in, in any market, right? Is that, that That's what we're talking about. And yeah, it's roughly that level, yeah. I also was going to say that um, longer-term adaptations to home working, um, that will sort of benefit London's commuter zone and, and the, the edges of that that people maybe wouldn't have considered previously as they're, they're deciding to accept that longer commute, as well as the prolonged experience of lockdown down, um, that will drive more people to upsize. And in particular, that points to a continuation of um, the country house revival that we saw last year as well. So you've talked about everything apart from sort of prime central London there for us. Because that's the, you know, that's always been the sort of traditional heart of the prime market, hasn't it? For obvious reasons. Yeah, well, I mean, Prime Central London has been affected by a very unique set of drivers. So values remain around 21% below their previous 2014 peak. And so property here does look good value and it has done for some time. But we also know that prices remain competitive in a global context um, and buy, hold and sell costs are much lower um, than some other comparable prime locations around the world. So we know that the lack of international travel last year did have an impact on the market, but it did also give an advantage to those that were already based in the UK. The sales of property worth £5 million or more across London were actually at their highest level for four years in 2020, and that's also continued so far this year. And that sort of proves to us the confidence in London as a leading world city um, and buyers' acknowledgement of that relative value that's on offer at the moment. 
History also tells us that this market rebounds quickly. And we know that there's uh, pent up demand from those who haven't been able to travel over the last year or so um, and view those properties in person. So once we see the rollout of uh, the vaccines continue throughout the rest of this year um, around the world, that will give us more confidence in the opening up of travel corridors. um, And prices are definitely likely to start increasing towards the middle of this year um, and then have a more sustained bounce back next year. Just where pricing has been in central London, and means there's quite a lot of capacity for catch-up. It's a market that's looked pretty good value for quite a long time. I think Francis is absolutely right. If anything, we've been quite surprised at the levels of activity in that market that have been sustained off a smaller group of buyers. The return of that demand is really going to be dependent, that, that other bit of demand is going to be dependent on opening of international travel. Yeah, and I should say that, you know, if you want to delve into the numbers and look at all the numbers, you'll, you'll be able to on the research section of the of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research, and all you have to do is search house price forecasts, uh, and, and you'll find them all there. And I'll repeat that uh, uh, towards the end of the podcast. But just a couple of highlights. We're saying uh, for this year in Prime Central London, up 3%. Uh, for most of the rest of the country, around 5%. But over five years plus of 20% for Prime Central London and just under 20% for, or just over 20% for most of the rest of the UK. So let's uh, take a look at the mainstream market now. Uh, So Francis can stand down for a minute and and relax for a moment. And Lawrence, uh, it's over to you. Um, Do you see a sort of similar sort of thing going on in the mainstream market or is it a bit different? Certainly recently and over the next couple of years, we've seen a lot of those same lifestyle drivers that have been so apparent in the prime market. So people looking to upsize, uh, responding to the experience of the last few months where a home hasn't just been the place where you come after a day of work. It's also been where you school your children. It's been where you make your work calls. Um, So there's been a real desire there for homes that facilitate that homeworking, homeschooling experience, but can also offer some degree of outdoor space um, as a bit of a, a sort of pressure valve from the amount of time that we spent locked up at home. We're expecting that to continue to be a real driving force in the market over the course of the next year, um, facilitated by the stamp duty holiday that we've seen in place um, and that extension that we've seen um, in its full form to the end of June um, and then a more limited tapered form of stamp duty relief from July until the end of September. Does that make a significant difference, do you think? Because it just all it does is push things a little bit down the road, doesn't it? I think what it does is it it, it um, is a huge breath, uh, a huge sigh of relief for those people who are currently in the process of, of transacting. Um, it gives them an extra few months to get things sorted, um, and that additional tapering um, helps to remove some of the risk or, 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 or sort of reduce some of the risk that we see a cliff edge in terms of transaction activity through the year. It means that we're more likely to see a gentle uh, transition from one stamp duty regime to going back to normal by the end of the year. Mm. I mean, I think the other thing the other thing that it does is it just supports the market when the market would otherwise have been most exposed. So at, at a time that unemployment is expected to peak, you've been given that additional support, not just from stamp duty, but also really importantly, an extension to the furlough scheme. You know, and I think it's that just that level of support which the government is seeking to give the economy and then specifically the housing market that just, if you like, supports the housing market. Uh, at a point where otherwise you would have been expecting a lull in activity. And you can see what the Chancellor has done with stamp duty. You know, he sought to maintain that 
pretty um, generous stamp duty holiday through the period where the market's most exposed and then taper it at a point in time when he thinks the economy is going to be recovering we've released social distancing restrictions and and if you like some of the economic or some of the fundamentals of what should then be an economic recovery mean that the housing market can stand on its own two feet yeah and Lawrence, the, the other thing the other sort of measure that's come out uh, from the government recently is this mortgage guarantee scheme where the uh, uh, I, i'm if i explain it badly you'll you'll correct me but uh, where the government is guaranteeing to mortgage lenders that they will if if there's a problem uh, in the you know in terms of values of properties or whatever uh, that they will cover the top bit if you like is that is that a reasonable way of describing it or can you do better That's- that, that, that's that's broadly it. I think it's probably you know the, the individual, the t- technical mechanics of the scheme are less important than than what it's expected to do and and how lenders respond to it. And I think the the broad goal of the policy is to encourage lenders to come back into the market with more mortgage products that allow people to buy homes with a five percent deposit. Um, there, you know, the, the number of ninety five percent loan to value mortgages fell precipitously. Um, as soon as we saw the first COVID lockdown come in. Um, and what government's trying to do here is exactly what it was trying to do back in 2013 when it had a very similar mortgage guarantee scheme in place, which is to encourage that level of lending again to help those uh, slightly less equity-rich first-time buyers access the market. And what we saw in that similar scheme last time was a much greater level of take-up um, in the Midlands and North, um, where house prices are a bit lower, where loan-to-income ratios are less stretched. And so we're expecting to see a similar phenomenon this time around with with greater take up in places like Yorkshire than the northwest. And does that have as big an impact, do you think, as the stamp duty holiday? The last time they ran this scheme, we saw an average of 28,000 mortgages guaranteed per year that it was running. Um, By contrast, you've got on average 1.1, 1.2 million transactions per year. So in the in the grand of scheme of things, it's not it's not making a huge difference to transaction numbers. I think what it really does is that it eases access to home ownership for a very specific portion of the market that's felt very locked out over the last, certainly since lockdown and, and more generally since the global financial crisis. And heading back towards the numbers again, as I say, that you, you, there's lots of detail on the Savills website, and I'll give the the the, the address again in in a minute or two, but. It strikes me there's a big difference between, you know, on your five-year forecast, the area where you've got the most growth predicted, which is, I think, t- nearly 27, 28%, which is in the north, uh, the northwest, and the lowest growth area, which is just 12%, uh, and that's London. That's it. And it's, it's driven, you know, as with so many other things, by affordability challenges. Um, so while in the short term, we've got the support of this stamp duty holiday helping things along. Uh, there's a lot of pent up demand from people looking to upsize as a result of these lockdown restrictions. In the longer term, we, ref- re- we return to those fundamentals of how much can people afford to borrow on a mortgage. And that is more limited relative to people's incomes where affordability is stretched in places like London and the South. There's much more capacity for growth as you move further north where homes are already much more affordable. So that's that's fundamentally what's driving that difference, supported by the impact of that mortgage guarantee scheme over the next couple of years. So I, I mean, I think I think Sorry, Guy. I mean, I think one of the really key things in here is the expectation that interest rates are going to stay much lower for much longer. Um, And because those interest rates are now expected to stay very low to support the economy, that means despite that unexpected level of growth that we saw last year, 
there is still a bit of an affordability cushion in a low interest rate environment to allow some further house price growth. Now, clearly, if you didn't have those lower interest rate um, assumptions and you had last year's growth, the amount that prices could have gone up would have been far reduced. So in amongst all of this, as is always the case, what happens to interest rates is absolutely critical. And I think short term, The expectation that rates are going to stay low means, for example, things like five-year money, the ability to fix your lending at a low rate um, is pretty decent. And that in itself then gives people the security to feel that they're confident in making a move because they just know what their monthly outgoings are going to be when they take on a bigger mortgage. Of course, what it does mean is that at some point we will start to see interest rates rise. Gradually, that will occur. It looks like it's outside of the next five years. And at that point you will see some some greater constraints on the ability for prices to rise. Another thought that, that, that occurred to me was, and it's something that Lawrence touched on a bit earlier about sort of pent-up demand. Is there a, I don't know how quite how to put this, but I sort of get a sense that there is a lot of pent, there's a pent-up urge to splash out. And that, you know, come the summer, it, part of it will be on holidays, part of it will just be on going to the pub or going to a restaurant or whatever. But there is this, I think, sense that everybody just wants to release. Can, is that going to have an impact on the on the housing market, do we think? It, it really depends on what what part of the, the market we're talking about. And I think it, it, you know, there's some, some analysis from the ONS which really demonstrates how polarised the impact of the pandemic has been. For those more affluent households, we've seen savings rates increase. They've been able to put some more money aside during the pandemic, which is what Francis was noting earlier. Um, and for them, you know, this will be a perfect opportunity to, as you say, splash out a bit, to, to look to move to a bigger home, to, to improve their existing home or to uh, you know, ignore all that for a bit and go on holiday. I think we've got to be you know, really, it's really critical that we remember that there's a lot of households who haven't been able to increase their savings over this period. Um, and for them, housing affordability is going to continue to be um, the key driving force in their in their housing choices. And so we will continue to see a great deal of demand for um, various forms of rental housing, whether that's in the private market or whether that's more affordable forms of housing. Francis, I, I, it's, it's probably, I'm not sure whether it's, it, it applies the same in, in your or in, in the prime market. But I mean, you, you deal with people who, who've frankly got more money than, than, than most other people. Do you see something similar in, in, in your part of the world? Yeah, I think so. So I touched on it earlier, but also what we saw last year was the ultimate lifestyle and sort of second home locations were really the top performers. And that's definitely likely to continue in the short term, at least. I'd say maybe as holidays abroad seem less and less likely this year, and some people may still be cautious of going abroad, we could definitely see more people looking um, more locally to one of the UK's hotspots. So that might favour locations like Devon, Dorset um, and Norfolk and Suffolk, places like that. Now, we could talk about this all day, and many people do talk about house prices all day and all night, uh, for that matter. But I want to get on to the Savile Standout statistic. As, as you all know, you can't come on Real Estate Insights without coming up with a Savile Standout stat. And it's house prices. There must have been thousands of stats to come up with. Uh, where should we go first? Well, I think we'll save Lucian for last. The head of residential research can, can wow us with his stat last of all. Francis, you go first. What's your Savile Standout stat? 
My stat is 51, which doesn't seem like a big number, but this is how many 5 million plus sales that we've seen across London so far in 2021. Um, And that's the highest figure for the first two months of any year since 2014. This demonstrates the confidence in the market um, and as London, in London as a global city. Um, And it supports our forecast that I talked about earlier of a recovery in values across central London from the middle part of this year onwards. Fantastic. Lawrence, what about you? My stat is 99,000, which seems at face value to be a much bigger number than France's. Apologies. Um, but that is Ooh, the number. Uh, get of you a bigger number. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> no, no, no pressure, Lucy. And you've got to come up with an even bigger one. Um, this is 99,000 is the number of mortgage approvals for home purchase that were uh, approved in January. That is the highest figure that we've uh, seen for quite some time. It's a 40% increase year on year. And I think that really just reinforces how much demand there is from people to move in this environment, even with the restrictions of lockdown still in place. Yeah. Lucien? I mean, 99,000 is quite a big number, isn't it? I think we can probably do better than that. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with um, 532,912. That is the number of houses that were available to purchase um, across the UK um, in February. Um, And the reason that it's important, seems like a really big number, but the reason that it's important is that that number is 16% lower than it was at the same time last year. And so I think just that expectation that people have had that the stamp duty holiday would end has just made some people quite cautious about bringing their house to the market. And that, combined with some of that very strong demand that we've seen, means that in parts of the market, particularly, for example, for detached houses, we've got a real shortage of stock at the moment. And I think what the extension of the stamp duty holiday does and some of the other factors we talked about is it gives a real opportunity in what has been a bit of a seller's market for people now to think again. And if they're thinking about moving, bring some of that stock to the market. Because at the moment, right now, you know, it is a market which is a little bit short of stock to buy. Yeah. Thank you all very much for that. I mean, it's always fascinating talking about house prices, but I think sort of particularly so at the moment. Uh, Thanks for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. I know I'll see all or we'll see all three of you again very soon. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If you want to delve into the detail and look at all the numbers, there's plenty to be delved into, so to speak. You can do so on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. Just search house price forecast uh, and you'll find everything you could possibly want there. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.